Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. We're going to jump right back in to our Revelation series. And uh, for those of you who've never read the book of Revelations or never wanted to read the book of Revelations or read it and walked away very confused, it's okay, you're in good company, so have I, it's okay. Uh, but we're in this journey together. I've never actually preached uh, through the book of Revelations, and so this is exciting and even new for me, and we've been enjoying uh, this journey. We'll be in it for 10 weeks, and today we're going to jump into Revelation chapter 5, and uh, we've been in chapter 1 for two weeks, and then we were chapter 4 last week, and now we're going to jump into chapter 5. And it's really important that you capture a few uh, of these ideas in the very beginning of our talk today, that the Revelation chapter 1, Revelations chapter 4, and chapter 5 are the foundational vision for the, the entire book of Revelation. It's important that you recognize that in order for you to understand the remaining book of Revelation, you have to understand chapter 1, uh, chapter 4, and chapter 5. Chapter 4 and 5 have been the layout, the foundation of worship for the local church for thousands and thousands of years. We've looked at chapter 4 and chapter 5 as an understanding of how worship should look. And so I want you just maybe I'll put it this way. Revelation 6 until the end of the book are unintelligible and cannot be understood clearly if you do not look through the lens of and first understand Revelation chapter 4 and most importantly, Revelation chapter 5. There are a lot of individuals who've come to the book of Revelation and skipped over these important, valuable chapters and tried to interpret all sorts of things like flamethrowers from locust mouths and dragons eating, you know, babies' heads and things like this. And we get confused with what it's really saying if we don't have the context of chapter 4 and chapter 5. And so it's very, very important we recognize that chapter 5, the scene that we're about to see, is the single most important scene in the entire book of Revelation. There's not another scene in the entire book that is more important than this. So if you've missed the first three weeks or you'll miss the next uh, however many weeks, make sure you get this today because this will change your perspective on your life and your perspective on heaven. And it should transform how you see your life, how you see our world and how you see going through the world and the challenges that we will face uh, in the things that are to come. Chapter four of Revelation is a summary of the Old Testament. We look, we, we see the throne and we see a, someone on the throne and we see the thunder and lightning and the judgment coming from the throne, though he pulls us close on the sea of glass of chaos. And we see uh, the elders and the, the living, the living uh, creatures. And we just see this awe-inspiring picture of the almighty big uh, creator God who's in chapter four. So that's a summary of the Old Testament. Chapter five is a summary of the New Testament. The center point of chapter five is that all of the entire chapter is centered on the lamb on the throne. It's centered on the reigning lamb, the reigning lamb of Jesus Christ. And as we look at this chapter, we can understand the entire New Testament through this one single chapter. And so we're gonna jump in today. We're gonna go verse by verse as we've been doing every week. And we're gonna look at what these verses mean together. So let's just get right into Revelations chapter five, verse one. 
It says, Then I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. Now remember, John was brought into this other dimension, this dimension of heaven, that Jesus pulled back the curtain. So no longer was he looking with natural eyes. Now he was having a supernatural experience. He was actually encountering this moment while he was on the island of Patmos. And he was in this moment. Remember, he had the vision of the throne and he had the vision of the someone from the throne and thunder and lightning peeling from the throne. All of these different things were happening. And now it's like a movie. Like all of a sudden in the scene, John's eyes focused in on something that was in the right hand of this someone on the throne. He zoomed in and saw a scroll with writing on both sides, meaning that there was so much writing on the scroll. It was contained so much information that they couldn't fit it on one side. There was words upon words upon words on both sides of this writing. And we see that a scroll is often clearly marked by absolute importance. When you see a scroll in Roman, in Roman understanding, a Roman uh, perspective, it, it's, when it's written on both sides, it means there's something very valuable and there's something very important in this scroll. We see a seal, seven seals. And in the Roman culture, in order to uh, seal or certify a, a will or a testimony uh, that, that making it legitimate or legal, they would require seven different seals or seven different testimony seals. And people would seal it and it would become a nola, it would become a document that was legal and it was a document that was certified. And now we have seven of them, which as we remember is the word, it means completion. Seven being complete. And so we have a scroll that's sealed seven times to make it official. And it is sealed seven times, meaning that it is a complete scroll, a complete book, not to be added to, not to be taken away from. It's finished, it's complete. And we look in this and we see that there's a lot of different ideas around what this scroll could mean. But most people would agree that this is the scroll of human history. This is a scroll that, is, that it contains the meaning of history and the idea of what God intended from beginning to end and how God will restore the, uh, the earth back to its original intention and how God is going to bring uh, the kingdom of God to the earth. It, it, it includes our history, your history, my history, the world's history, all of history are in this one tiny little scroll. The scroll contained the complete account of what God in his sovereign will has determined for the destiny of the world. And he looks in the right hand and he sees this scroll in the hand of someone. This should encourage you today as a follower of Jesus Christ to know that no matter what happens in our world, no matter what's happened in the past, no matter what will happen in the future, history is in the hands of God. History is in the right hand of God. He has control and dominion and order. And when you look at our world and say, this is out of control, this makes no sense, be reminded today that in the book of Revelation chapter five, we see all of human history resides in the hand of the Almighty. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to worry knowing that no matter what happens in the church and no matter what happens in the world, God has this scroll in his hand. And look what happens in verse two. He says, I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll. Now, we don't know what this mighty uh, angel is. Uh, some people have a lot of different ideas, uh, but probably just a mighty angel, kind of looked like Joel, muscles and tattoos and just huge and probably had an amazing voice, like a voice of an angel, Joel. I know. I should probably think about somebody else then. And who knows? He's probably a mighty angel. And he, he declared out loud, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? 
He yelled out this question to all of the universe from the four corners that anyone can tell me today. Who can open the scroll? Who can break the seals? Who can do this? Who is powerful enough? Who is wise enough? Who is smart enough to understand all the nuances and the intricacies of this book? Who can open the seal? This question was declared all throughout humanity. And we come to verse three and four which is a very powerful idea here as we look at how John responds in this moment. He says, but no one in heaven or on earth or under earth could open the scroll or even look inside. And I wept and I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. He's saying, church, remember this letter, this vision, this revelation was written to the church of Jesus Christ. And they were experiencing persecution and murder and mistreatment. They were being treated awful because they were not giving little incenses of worship to emperor Domitian. Instead, they said, I'm gonna serve God. And so in the church, they were facing persecution and heresy and immorality. And what he says in the scriptures as a church, I want you to know that in this moment, I looked at the scroll and I saw all of human history. I saw all of the answers. I saw the answers to all of your deepest questions and your wonderings. I looked and in the right hand of someone was the, the scroll of history that would help us understand why things happen the way that they happen. It would help me have a vision or an understanding of the, the wrongs and the things of this world that made no sense to me. I looked at the right hand and saw the scroll, but there was no one that could open the scroll. Do you sense that in the very throne room and presence of God, that there was a sense of hopelessness. What a crazy thought to consider that in the very throne room of God, where the almighty God was, where the Holy Spirit was, where the redeemed were and the living creatures, John had hopelessness. And you can hear this hopelessness all throughout our world. You can hear it through the different music you listen to. I don't know about you, but I listen to the top 40 today and I think, oh my gosh, the, the God is devoid of all of this. All I hear is hopelessness. All I hear is emptiness and a lack of meaning. Or let's watch the movies. Or I know I go on to Netflix sometimes and I'll start a movie. I don't know if you've ever done this. I think, man, the person who wrote this must be an atheist and not believe in God because there is nothing redeemable about this movie. It just ends in death and drugs and horror. It's hopelessness. Hopelessness on social media and hopelessness in conversation. Hopelessness when you talk to people. There is no hope. There is no future. Nothing's all going to amount to nothing. What is going to happen next? Hopelessness. And it's a crazy thought to consider that in the very presence of God was a sense of hopelessness, hopelessness that there was no point. That what's going to happen next? A sense in his heart that there was something there that wasn't right. What a crazy idea. As I read this, it hit me. That in the very presence of God was disappointment. In this moment, he was disappointed. He was disappointed with how things were working out. He was disappointed that they weren't going to be able to see past the scroll. He was disappointed that there was no answer. In this very moment, there was weeping and frustration in the presence of God. There was confusion and there was disappointment. And I want you to catch this today. John had just had a revelation of Jesus, the Son of Man, the glorified Christ in Revelations chapter one. He had, in Revelations four, the throne room of God and God himself. And he noticed the scroll and the angel cries out and no one answered. No one answered in time. So John, John just assumed there was no hope. 
Now notice in this verse, the angel did not identify there was no one. John did. And as John stood in the very presence of God, we don't know how long the time period or the waiting period was between the angel asking the question and the elder consoling John. But all we know is that John's human response to what he was looking at right now was disappointment and hopelessness. Here's John, the beloved pastor, this mighty man of God, this man who was called of God, this man who was this powerful man, stood in the very presence of God and concluded that, oh my goodness, there is no hope. This was John's human perspective on what he did not understand of what was happening in the supernatural realm. He looked at the earth through the eyes of humanity. He looked to the earth through the eyes of a man. He looked at the situation and said, this is disappointing. This is discouraging. This upsets me. This creates anger. This creates frustration. This was John's human response. And the word weeping there is in the context of as though you're losing someone, the grief and the mourning of loss. And so John begins to weep at the loss and the idea of what was happening in front of him in this moment, what John was looking at didn't make sense. It's amazing to me that in the very presence of God, in the very throne room of God, is disappointment, is hopelessness, is frustration. I mean, I don't know about you, but I know this brings all, every single one of us at, at some moment in our life into the throne room of God. You could be in the very throne room of God right now and say, you know what? I thought my marriage was going to work out, but it just didn't. It's not working out like I thought that it was. And I have disappointment and I'm frustrated and I'm angry. Or man, you know what? I was at that church and I got hurt or offended and they, 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 they treated me incorrectly. You know what? I'm never going back and I've rejected God or I've rejected church. And you know what? I'm never going back. There'll get disappointment and hopelessness and brokenness and frustration. And we think that, that that's not allowed near God. This is in the very presence of God. Brokenness. Pain hurts. John looking at the situation thinking, God, why is it working out like this? Why is the injustices in this world happening like they are? Why did I lose that person? Why did this relationship fall apart? Why did that thing not happen? Why do I keep fit? What's going on? I'm discouraged. I'm frustrated. I'm hopeless. I'm disappointed. God, I'm a little bit angry at you. God, I'm a little bit angry at the world. God, I'm a little bit frustrated. This was John's human response to not knowing what's next in life. This is John's human response to not having control of the scroll. He looked at what was going on. John began to feel the weight, the disappointment, and the frustration. And remember, these early Christians were facing persecution. They were being murdered for their faith. So when John wrote this, he's thinking, guys, I want you to know that when I first saw this, I want you to know that I know that in your moment of misunderstanding and you're saying, God, why did you have to take that loved one? Or why did I have to lose a job? Or why did I have to get hurt? I know I can feel it. I felt it too. There's no hope. I don't know what to tell you, but there was no answer. See, what John did is John in the waiting, in the moment between when the angel asked the question and the elder came to console John, there is a season of waiting and many of us on earth are in that season of waiting and we allow our human perspective to create frustration with God or frustration with his will or frustration with man. That's because we've got to stop putting our hope in man and hope in an institution and keep our hope in the living name of Jesus Christ. See, in this verse, we will learn that disappointment 
and frustration. He wanted to tell the church, guys, I know it's hard. I know you're losing loved ones and I know you're losing your possessions and I know it doesn't make sense and I know you keep standing up and the more you stand up, there's suffering and there's hardship but I want you to know today that I know your faith is being challenged and it's frustrating and it's hard and this very thing is in the very presence of God. I want this to encourage you today. You should shake joy today. Your anger, your frustration, your disappointment does not disqualify you from being in the presence of a loving God. We respond by cutting away and getting away from God and walking, it didn't work like out, or I'm upset. We, we call ourselves away from God. When God says, no, this is so important for us as humans to recognize that no matter what you face, the hardship, the difficulty, the disappointment, the disillusionment, that in the very presence of God, you are welcome, broken and hurting and wounded and frustrated, knowing that it, there's answers in the presence of God. And John came to this point where he was frustrated and he was upset. And he was angry. And maybe you're here today and you're just like, Maybe you're here today and it's your first time back to church. Or you may come to church, but I'm not going to let anyone get near me. Or I'm going to be in a relationship. Or my wife's hurt me. My husband's hurt me. Or ministry, I was getting in and now it hurt me. I'm, I'm never doing it again. Or whatever it might be, I know I've been there. I've been in the dark moments of disappointment and disillusionment and brokenness and pain and hurt. In fact, I think it was like eight or nine years ago where I didn't even know if I wanted to serve God. And I thought, no way can I continue in a personal relationship with Jesus. But the answer for you today is you might feel Feel that way today, but there is an answer for you in the very presence of God. And that's what we're going to learn today. See, John had this moment of hopelessness. He had this moment of frustration. And the next few verses are the very heart of the vision that was given to John. And we must go over it again and again and again and again. And it become, must become the heart and the foundation and the vision for our life. Look what it says in verse five. Then, one of the elders, remember the 24 elders with the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles represent the church of Jesus Christ, which represents the redeemed, those who've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. So one, listen, the elder had already been on the other side of heaven. The elder already knew the end from the beginning because he was in heaven with Jesus. He was seeing what was going on from a spiritual heavenly dimension. He said to John, who was still on the natural side, he said, listen to me, do not weep. Look and see the lion of the tribe of Judah. Look and see the root of David. Look and see that he has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and it's seven seals. See, this is when it all culminates and when it all comes together. And this very moment in scripture should transform how we see our lives and how we live our lives knowing that the lion of the tribe of Judah and the root of David, that was messianic language to speak about Jesus hundreds of years before he came to earth. It was to prophesy that Jesus would come Come to the earth and die. He did what he promised and he will do what he promised again. You might be in a season of disappointment or frustration and say, there's no end. There's no end of the tunnel. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. There's no future. And I'm here to tell you today, the, the, the root of David, the lion of the tribe of Judah, he promised he would come to earth. He promised he would die. He promised he would rise again. And he also promised that he would help you through the season of life that you're in. And we notice here, he says, look and see the lion of the tribe of Judah. Have hope. Stop putting your hope in humans. They will hurt you. 
Stop putting your hope in institutions. They're human. The only person and the only hope where you and I can experience everlasting joy in life is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And when you and I have a personal relationship with the lion of the tribe of Judah, guess what? We are unoffendable because he took it on the cross. We don't have the right to be offended because Jesus nailed it to the cross. And so if our eyes are on Jesus Christ, our eyes cannot have a hope in a man or a woman or an institution. And John is trying to tell them, don't put your hope in man. Don't put your hope in an institution. Put your hope in Jesus. Put your eyes upon the lion and the tribe of Judah. Take heart. God has a plan. It will all come together for you. And this should shift how we see our lives. Look what he says in verse six. Now, John here is reminded that he needs to keep his eyes on the victorious Jesus. He says, put your eyes on the lion, the tribe of Judah. He has triumphed. He is strong. He's mighty. He's powerful. Get your eyes on Jesus. And so John is thinking, all right, this is going to be awesome. Here I am in the very presence of God. I was having a moment of disappointment. The, the elder reminded me to keep my eyes on Jesus who made his promise to the earth. He kept it. He's going to keep his promise again. Okay, I'm ready to see this mighty, powerful, tremendous, victorious lion. And the scripture says something so powerful. It says that then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain looking as if it had been slaughtered, bloody, nails in its hands and nails in its feet. Its back was wounded and ripped apart. When Jesus chose to reveal himself to John in his moment of disappointment and frustration, it wasn't a powerful lion. It was a sacrifice, wounded, slain, weak lamb. When John looked at this weak lamb, weak lamb standing at the very center of the throne encircled by the four living creatures and the elders, the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. What you're about to see should change your life. What you're about to see should change your perspective of what it means to have a personal relationship with God and how you will prevail when things get hard in this world. When John turned to look and a triumphed lion, a victorious, strong, powerful lion, he turned and saw a weak, torn-up, bloody lamb. There's two words used for the word lamb. The first one is amnos, which is used by John to say, look, everyone, behold, the lamb of God, the adult lamb of God. The word is adult lamb. But the other word is the word arnion. And the word arnion means little lamb. John chose to use the language little lamb to describe this, what he saw. He said, look, a slain little lamb, a precious baby, beaten, bloody, worn, stricken, beat up. It looked vulnerable. It looked weak. It looked broken. It looked injured. It was not the picture of victory. And when Jesus chose to reveal himself, he chose to reveal himself as a slain lamb, but he had seven horns and seven eyes. Horns represent strength and eyes represents wisdom. Seven means complete. So he was with complete strength and complete wisdom. But when you looked at this little lamb, all you saw was the fact that he had been slaughtered, beaten, wounded, broken. 
The little lamb didn't win this cosmic battle by going to war and being mighty and powerful. This, this, this little lamb won the cosmic battle by being crucified, by being slain, by being slaughtered on a cross. He was weak. He was foolish. Yet in this weakness and in this foolish, God chose to display his glory and his power through the broken, slain, crucified, weak, vulnerable, little Lamb. He chose to reveal himself through this little tiny animal. This is how Jesus chose to reveal himself as a, as a little lamb. And this is the secret to all history. This is the secret to your life. This is the secret to how you'll get through disappointment. This is the secret to how you can break through in your life. This is the secret. Right here, what we see in the scripture is what Jesus revealed to John is a secret on how you can prevail in your life when life gets hard, when it gets difficult, when there's persecution, when life doesn't turn out like you hope, when you're disappointed and frustrated and hopeless. How we see Jesus in this moment determines how you will live your life. And he turned and what did he see? A slain, torn up lamb. The revelation of the almighty God brings the kingdom of heaven to earth through sacrificial love. Through what appears to be the weakness of the world, what appears to be foolish, instead of a ferocious lion who hurts others, Jesus Christ chose to reveal himself as the lamb of God who overcomes by taking the hurts of others upon himself. He alone is the one who can open the scroll because he sacrificed with love through death, through suffering, through hardship, through, through being beaten and sorrowful and torn apart for our behalf. That's why he can open the scroll. Yes, yes. In Isaiah 53, 53, 3 says that he was despised and he was rejected. A man of sorrows. Acquainted with the deepest grief, we turned our backs on him and he looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Can you see in this verse in Isaiah 53, 3 that describes the Lamb of God, don't you hear the idea of suffering? Think about it for a minute. So now in the very throne room of God, we have hopelessness and disappointment and pain and disillusionment. And now we have suffering. And you notice that it says that this Lamb, look where he is standing at the very center on the throne. The very center of the throne of God, the very center place of the Almighty is suffering. Which means, God, you don't understand what I'm going through. Yes, he does. Yes. Say, God, you don't understand what our world's facing. Yes, he does. You cannot look at the world and say, where is God? Because the precious Lamb of God, who, does, who did no wrong and deserved nothing wrong, was crucified a criminal's death on a cross when he did not deserve it. He knows suffering more than any of us knows suffering. And the suffering was at the very centerpiece of the cross, or at the throne of God. So now you understand why this is so important because when you look at our world and you see hopelessness and disillusionment and disappointment and anger and frustration and offense and misunderstanding and suffering and you say, God, how can I be in a relationship with you when all of this is a part of my life? He says, that's in the very presence, the very center of my throne. Come on in. You are welcome in this place. You don't have to call yourself from the pack or step away from the house of God or step away from the Lord or be out of relationship because you're broken and vulnerable and injured. Do you know that that is how God displays his glory through his people? That's right. 
through your vulnerability and through your brokenness and through your weakness and through your messes that you make in life and through your insecurities and through your shortcomings and your disappointments and your pain and your fear and your hurt, that is where God displays his glory. Not through power. Not through being the best. Not through the facade and fakeness of looking the part. Through your weakness. In the very place, you know, suffering. Look at this verse. <laughs> I love this. First Corinthians chapter one, verse 18. I know very well how foolish it sounds to those who are lost when they hear that Jesus died to save them. But we who are saved recognize this message as the very power of God. For God says, I will destroy all human plans of salvation, no matter how wise they seem to be, and ignore the best ideas of men, even the most brilliant of men. So what about these wise men, these scholars, these brilliant debaters of this world's great affairs? God has made them all look foolish and shown their wisdom to be useless nonsense. For God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never find God through human brilliance. And then he stepped in and saved all those who believed in his message, which the world calls foolish and silly. It seems foolish to the Jews because they want a sign from heaven as proof that what was preached is true. And it's foolish to the Gentiles because they believe only what agrees with their philosophy and seems wise to them. So when we preach about Christ dying to save them, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. But God has opened the eyes of those called to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, to see that Christ is the mighty power of God to save them. Christ himself is a center of God's wise plan for this salvation. So this so-called foolish plan of God is far wiser than the wisest plan of the wisest man. And God in his weakness, look, God in his weakness identified as Christ dying on the cross is far stronger than any man. Do you recognize that vulnerability and brokenness and weakness and being slaughtered and being humiliated and feeling hopeless and and hurt and painful, those are the very qualifications and criteria for being in a relationship with God. He could have chosen to display himself as a mighty king or a victorious lion, but he chose a slaughtered, vulnerable, broken lamb. Foolishness. Weakness. And this is why this is so important. Because we don't prevail through our power. We don't prevail through our own effort. We don't prevail by our own ingenuity. We don't prevail because we do good enough things or because we look great in front of others or because we're perfect or strong or important or smart or better than other people. We prevail through weakness and suffering because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Through our weaknesses, our brokenness, and our suffering is where we will see the little slain lamb who is perfectly wise and powerful shining through our lives. Paul said it best in in 2 Corinthians 12. Look what he said. He was concerned about his weaknesses and his life. And he asked God to take him away three times. And each time, this is what God said to him. Jesus said, no, I'm with you. That's all you need. My power shows up best in weak people. 
Now I'm glad to boast about how weak I am. I'm glad to be a living demonstration of Christ's power instead of showing off my own power and abilities. Since I know it is all for Christ's good, I'm quite happy about the thorn and about the insults and about the hardships and about the persecutions and the difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The less I have, the more I depend on him. He said it again in Philippians chapter three. But all these things that I once thought very worthwhile, now I've thrown them all away so that I can put my trust and hope in Christ alone. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the priceless gain of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. I have put aside all else, counting it worth less than, in, than nothing in order that I can have Christ and become one with him, no longer counting on being saved by being good enough or by obeying God's law, but by trusting Christ to save me. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith, counting on Christ alone. Now I have given up everything else. I have found it to be the only way to really know Christ. Experience the mighty power that brought him back to life again and to find out what it means to suffer and to die with him. This is the key to, to overcoming your disappointment and your hopelessness. This is the key to overcoming in your areas of weakness and feelings of insecurity and feeling like you can't make it and feeling like there's no hope. Did you know that the way that Jesus teaches us to break through the areas of weakness and brokenness and fear is to die to ourselves. That we must look like the little lamb who said, I came to display God's glory through dying on a cross and in the same way, I want you to take up your cross and follow me. Why? Because choosing the way of God is far better than choosing our way. I've been hurt, Ryan. The church hurt me. The pastor hurt me. I, don't, I didn't deserve that. Well, neither did Jesus. And yet when he was on the cross, he looked down at these people who were crucifying him for no reason and said what? Father, forgive them. How was he able to do that? Because he was displaying the glory and the power of God through his weakness. See, Ryan, I got to look the part. I got to act the part. And I thought it was like this and do that. And I would go here and hopelessness and disappointment. It's all in my life. Listen, die to yourself. Lay that down. Give it up. Go God's way. Pick up your cross. Sacrifice your own intentions. Go after God. Follow after him. Give your heart to him. Give your life to him. And I want to make you a promise today. The scripture teaches us that you will have true life. He sits on the throne in heaven as a crucified, slain, weak lamb so that you might say, okay, I guess I do fit in in the kingdom of God. I can make it through this in my life. Church, I know you're persecuted. I know you feel like you're a sinner. I know that you've made mistakes. I know that you don't know what to do next. I know you don't know where that passage of scripture is that Ryan talks about. I know you've never, you're not reading the Bible very much. You don't know where to go in the Bible. I know you feel like an insecure and broken and hopeless. I know you feel that way, church, but just open your eyes and look and see the slain little lamb of God who died on the cross to display the glory of God and he wants the same thing to happen in your life. Let's finish these verses up. I love them. And I want to show you this just as they begin to worship, as this happened, I love this. Jesus walks up. He went up and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. That is so baller. I just walked up and dropped the mic. He's like, I'll take that. Thank you, God. Walks up, grabs it. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell face down before the lamb. And each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Look at this word. Everyone say this word, because. Say because. 
Not because he's the king, not because he's the creator, not because he rose from the dead, not because he's a victorious lion, not because his hair is white as wool. Why? Because he was slain. You deserve the glory and honor because you were weak. Doesn't this mean that each one of us are now qualified to be in the kingdom of God? How worthy to take the scroll to open his seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. And then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 upon 10,000. This isn't happening then. This is happening right now. And they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power. Number one, wealth. Wisdom, strength, honor, glory, praise, complete. We see the next verse here. Look what it says. Then I heard every creature in heaven on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said amen and the elders faced down and worshiped him. In order for you to prevail through the disappointments and the, the, the frustrations of life, you've got to look and see the little slain Lamb of God. And remember, that is the qualification for being in the kingdom of God. A broken heart, a contrite heart. you got areas of sin, areas of brokenness, areas in your life where you don't qualify. You're broken and hurting and disappointed. Welcome to the kingdom of God. Welcome to the church of Jesus Christ. And now when we look at earth, we see earth and how people hurt us and how people persecute us and the tragedies of this world through the eyes of the little lamb who put himself on a cross and looked at the earth and said, I know you've done tremendous things to me, but you know what? You don't deserve what I'm about to do, but I'm going to do it because I love you. Now we live our lives in the same way. Would you stand with me this morning? Why don't you close your eyes? I want to pray for you today. Come on, Father, I just pray. I know for a fact, Father, that in my own family and my own close friends in this room, there are folks who are disappointed with God. Folks who are hopeless about their future, are hopeless about maybe they've had wounds or pain or Life just in general didn't quite pan out and they don't know what's next. We're reminded today, God, that you have our history in your hands and we can trust in the little lamb of God who promised to die and he didn't bail. He did it. He also promised to rise on the third day and you did it. And now you promised to come back for us and you promised to help us prevail and you promised to give us grace and peace when we need it the most. God, I pray for those who are feeling far from you, those who maybe don't have a relationship with you today or feeling disconnected or have wounds or brokenness in their life. Today, Jesus, I pray that they would put their eyes upon Jesus Christ. They confess with their mouth that Jesus, you are God, and they believe in their heart that you are God. And the Bible says you will experience salvation. So Father, I just pray today that as we go today, you would just stir our heart with your love, stir our heart with your grace, stir our heart with your peace. We love you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus.